a gambling explainer, Bruner versus Fisher, and the drive for 70. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Field, State Bureau Chief, The Plain Dealer. Emily Reamer, State House Reporter for ABC6 and Fox 28. Terry Casey, Republican Consultant, and Joseph Moss, Attorney. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. We often talk about gambling on this program, but it, you know it can get just a little bit confusing. So we're going to take a step back this week and try to make sense out of all of the proposals now on the table. Now there is the plan to build four casinos around the state, including one here in Columbus. There is a request to put thousands of slot machines around the state in racetracks. And there is a proposal to have individual communities vote yes or no on expanded gambling. Terry Casey, you've worked in this industry before, representing Native Americans. The big one is the four casino proposal. Rivals have come together. What, why is this plan different than the ones that we've voted down in the past? Well, part of it, you've got it being pushed by Penn National, which were the people that spent $38 million last year to defeat uh, the one package. But Penn National is a more savvy company. It's four locations. Uh, the package has got a lot more details in terms of what they do and everything that uh, makes more sense. And they've chosen a year when jobs and economic development's a huge issue. And to kind of use the racetrack terminology, they're clearly the ones out front, but they've got to get signatures and they've got six more weeks to get the number they need in order to file. But the other horse that came up fast this week was the slots at the racetrack, mm -hmm. mainly because Bill Harris said in the more conservative state Senate, he'd be open to putting this issue on the ballot uh, which gives them a better shot than uh, what they've had in the past. For the four casino plan, we'd build four around the state, Columbus, Cincinnati, Toledo, and Cleveland is the, mm -hmm. is the plan. Gross tax revenues taxed, gross revenues taxed at 33%, $650 million a year. They're basically offering a bigger piece of the pie than the one that lost last year, right, Reggie? Uh, only slightly bigger. I mean, the percentage I believe that they're offering back is maybe 33 percent. Really, the one that lost last year was maybe 30 percent. But certainly, if they were to open all four, then you've got four facilities that are uh, bringing in as, as opposed to just one facility. The other thing that's that's interesting about this one is that they have selected, you know, uh, the, the four largest areas in the state of Ohio. And what we've known about the past. Uh, uh, measures that have failed, um, they've all, those, those very measures have actually passed in the home county wherever those facilities are going to be located at. So it's, it's very uh, strategic in, in that um, they're looking for the signatures and then if they are to get on a, on a ballot, which I'm sure they will, then they're going to have those, you know, uh, four largest communities in Ohio potentially voting for it. That might put it over. But there's a catch. Yes. They don't have to build them no. in all four locations. That's right. There is no deadline for the building. But let's, let's face it, what's really lubricating this, I think as Terry suggested, is the economy. And gambling doesn't really generate, it might generate jobs in the sense that th these facilities need to be built, or for that matter, if there is more of a flow at the racetracks. It, it, all that it does is really redirect entertainment dollars. But those entertainment dollars today may be going to Michigan or maybe going to West Virginia or to Indiana. So in that way, it may be a benefit to Ohio. But in addition to that, as Reggie suggested, uh, there is also a different 
part of the, the pie, a larger bite of the pie, that is going to the state as a consequence of a different uh, taxation that is identified in this kind of enterprise versus something else. Emily, Governor Strickland wants a bigger piece. He wants something like what Pennsylvania is doing, which is getting 50% of the revenue. Sure, there. sure. And I think the thing about each of these plans is that they all go up. So the casino plan is, what, 33%. The neighborhood slot plan is about 40%. And then the VLTs is about 50%. Um, but VLT the, being the video slot machines. Sure, the video lottery terminals at the racetrack that we're talking about this week, um, you know, that they're pushing because they're, you know, their industry, well, some say they're dying. They'll tell you that they're thriving. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on, you know, who you believe. But I think, you know, um, Joe hit on it here is the whole community aspect of it. If you go to the people who live in that community, um, they may say yes because of economic circumstances or whatever. The only place that that casino bill passed last year was Clinton County, where they were going to build that casino. Where so DHL Sure, exactly. So if you look at the neighborhood right. slot plan, maybe they say, well, you know what, for my kids, okay, maybe I vote yes. So just to be clear, the neighborhood slot plans would be, it would give communities similar to the way they vote on local liquor issues. You could vote to accept a casino, slot machines in your neighborhood, in your community. Um, in your precinct. So it would right. be, if the state would have, it would trump the state law, basically, using the lottery law. Essentially. Right. I mean, if you're going to have uh, gambling in a given city in Ohio, you have gambling in Ohio. Right. right. But right. The, pro the problem that the so-called neighborhood slots bar bill has is you'd have so many more locations, only a few machines in each location, you wouldn't have the new construction the way you'd have with casinos or the, w the spending that would be required at the racetrack. So there's differences in what really brings economic development. Uh, and actually on tax rates, people would assume, well, the higher the tax rate, the better it is. Actually, the states with the two lowest tax rates are Nevada and Mississippi, and those are the states. Mississippi's just about ready to pass New Jersey in their number of slots business. So the higher tax rate doesn't necessarily create more jobs or economic development. And I think there also may be a lesson learned with Keno because it was not what they promised it was going to be. And so I yeah. think perhaps Governor Shookland is looking at that and saying, well, this isn't what I thought. You know, we're not doing it again. I want to get back to this loophole in the casino plan. The plan that they want to put before voters allows them to build four casinos around the state, but it gives these two companies exclusive rights to build casinos in Ohio. There's no deadline on when they have to build the casinos. So some have said the silver bullet that's going to kill this is that they're not going to build the ones near Toledo and Cincinnati because that would compete with casinos that they already own. So the, the, the opponents are going to jump on that and say, here's just some gambling companies coming in, trying to take over the gambling, and, and, and they're not playing fair, they're being greedy. Is that what well, could they, happen here? And the opponents can use, also use the argument that, yeah, this is just for permission to build them, but we didn't build now because yeah. now is when the economy is bad. So why isn't that deadline in? Why didn't well, they just well, put the deadline in there? Well, part of it is anytime you're going to build a business, you yeah. just can't say you got to start construction in two months because it does take time to architecturally design things. You could run into an environmental or permit delay. Uh, so, But I think the reality is if the people like Penn National are going to spend this much money yeah. to get this passed, uh, you want to then get some return on that investment. And I really think if their issue passes, 
it's going to make it much more likely that other slot bills can get approved, video lottery slots, and they don't want to not build in Cincinnati and then have the racetracks come in, the two racetracks come in in southwestern Ohio and get their program up and running. And also to address your, your question as well, uh, you know, if, if it does pass, then there's going to need to be further legislation that's sort of like enabling language to allow, you know, them rules that they're going to have to be governed by. And there's going to be a six month process for that to be put in place. And then they need to grab their license. Um, you know, there needs to be a procedure for, uh, yeah. and you know, giving them their license. And so, um, you know, the proponents will say that, you know, that makes it impossible for us to put an absolute start date on this type of project. Um, but um, it does leave it wide open for them. And um, it, again, the economy can work just the opposite way as well. We can say, well, you know what, because of the economy, we can't really build all four. Let's just build one right now. Let's let it, get it going. Let's you know, bring in yeah. some money. In. And if, if things continue to do well, then go ahead to, to the other facilities. But the history across America is when people get approval to do something, they'll in fact open a temporary facility while the new thing is being built because they want to get revenue and the state and the, te and the local governments yeah. want to get the revenue. Okay. Well, I hope that cleared things, some things up. <laughs> if not, we'll talk about it again, I'm sure. The 2010 primary is about a year away, and the candidates and possible candidates are in the last stages of shoring up their campaign organizations. As of right now, the biggest race features two Democratic headliners who want to be U.S. Senator. Jennifer Bruner trails Lee Fisher in fundraising, but the Secretary of State shows no indication that she will defer to the lieutenant governor in this primary fight. So Reggie Fields... It's all systems go for both campaigns at this point. Yeah, I, it, it looks that way. Um, they're on two different tracks right now. Um, Jennifer Bruner is actually, she's doing a lot of trying to outrun rumors that she will drop from the race and actually go and try to run for Supreme Court uh, justice next year instead uh, because of the reasons that you've just mentioned. But her camp is, um, uh, for the last week and a half, uh, they have gone overboard with trying to dismiss that rumor, trying to say, no, she's absolutely going to stay in the race and that um, Lieutenant Governor Lee Fisher's lead is not so insurmountable that she can catch up, that she will be able to compete against him. Meanwhile, um, the Lieutenant Governor is pretty much crisscrossing the state as the Lieutenant Governor giving speeches, which sort of bodes well for the mere fact he's also a candidate. Well, so. and I think they both benefit. See, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. They both benefit from being incumbents yeah. in their office right now. They can do the work that they're supposed to be doing and then point to it and say, hey, look what I've done. Um, but there is a great article in Roll Call. Um, you know, it's a, a magazine on the Hill. Stu Rothenberg talks about this underdog status that Jennifer Bruner seems to be cultivating right now, perhaps. You've got Lee Fisher with the establishment behind him who came out with big fundraising numbers, even if, you know, can only use half of it or he has access mm -hmm. to half of it. And she is, you know, a female. She is trailing, perhaps, fundraising, some might say. And she can use that, perhaps, to build support for her candidacy. So it's a very interesting article. And I think that that underdog status will be something to watch as we kind of move forward through this campaign. Well, she's got the double-barreled advantage of not only being the underdog, but a lot of the more progressive Democrats, the more liberal Democrats, like her so much because she really is a true believer on those issues. And if you know anything about Ohio history, Lee Fisher's one statewide victory that he ever had was by a grand total of 1,234 votes for Attorney General back in 94. So Lee gets a lot of the insiders at Capitol Square liking him and people write checks 
but you've ultimately got to win county yeah. by county with rural voters. Who's the better general election candidate, Joe? I think Jennifer Bruner is. As a matter of fact, one thing that I wanted to jump in and mention is that she may be a little bit behind on the fundraising element, but she is gathering an army through the internet of potential, not only potential donors, but people that will go door to door. I think she's going to be a formidable candidate, and I absolutely guarantee she's not dropping out of the race. And, and Emily mentioned about the Lieutenant Governor Chris Cross in the state. Well, he's got highway patrol security and drivers, and it's in the budget to continue that. But if he's no longer development director and he's just a candidate for Senate, why are we spending... He's still Lieutenant Governor. Well, uh, I don't think there's too many. Constitutional uh, office. He doesn't have to worry about whether he has to drop the bomb or not. Duly as elected. As governor. But why are we spending the money on the highway patrol security? Um, Reggie, getting back to this, will she drop out? We've seen this before with the governor's primary a few years ago with Ken Blackwell, Jim Petro, and, and Betty Montgomery. Betty Montgomery especially was, was just dogged with this, when are you going to drop out, when are you going to drop out? And she never was able to overcome that, and she eventually did and, and, and ran for attorney general. How does Jennifer Bruner compete with that rumor, other than just stay in the race? But, you know, it's a, it's a, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she just has to weather, you know, that early round right now. And, and the election is still a long way off. It's still a long way before they really, you know, kind of ramp up into to full, full uh, uh, you know, steam power there. And so I, what I believe it was sort of a, a political strategy for Lee Fisher to be able to come out there and very quickly throw a big number out there before, you know, we could really analyze yeah. it and find out is, is the money really there? Can he really spend all of it? He threw a big number out there and he, he tried to pretty much force her out of the race. But I, I, yeah, she's, yeah. It, she's not the type of personality who's going to be easily scared out of and the race. And there's a huge difference between having three candidates and having two candidates. Right. And, but the Cincinnati state rep who's pretty popular, who's African-American, is probably still going to run, though the governor will probably pick Peter Lawson Jones from northeastern Ohio to be his running mate, which would take him out of the competition, which would make it easier for Lee Fisher to win the primary. Real quick before we move on to the next topic, Mary Taylor announced she is going to run for re-election as state auditor, not going to run for you as Senate. Was she really cons seriously considering that, or was her name just being tossed around? No, she this? was considering it and yeah. getting yeah, some urges. She, yeah, yeah, I think she was. Yeah. She says that folks in Summit County asked her to consider it last fall, and she did. She had some questions she needed to ask herself. Um, now, she says there was no arm twisting from the Republican Party not to do it. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough to give up that incumbency. You talk sure. about the advantages of that. But, but her toughest problem is Portman had a lot of money, yeah. people that write big checks in Cincinnati, and how do you overcome that? And that was part of the difficulty. His fundraising base is stronger in Cincinnati. This is where, where earlier where I was saying trying to, you know, come out with a big number and push him out of the race real early. It worked on the other side yeah, I mean, because that's exactly what Portman did. And, and while Mary considered it, I don't think anyone other than her really considered she was a really serious candidate for that position. All right, either day one or day two of Portman's campaign. He had, it must have been a five-page press release just right. filled with every name in the Republican Party you could think of that was behind him. So, Our third topic, an issue closer to an actual ballot, is the City of Columbus income tax hike request. On August 4th, city voters will decide whether to increase the city's income tax by 25 percent, bringing it up to 2.5 percent. This week, in a major surprise, both the police and fire unions voted to support the tax increase. Well, maybe it wasn't that surprising. And a minor controversy bubbled up. The Board of Elections split on whether to send out absentee ballot notices to let voters know about the special election coming up in August. Joe Moss, first, congratulations. Thank you. You're going to put me on the spot there. To the Board of <laughs> That's Elections. That's right. Now, yes. Welcome to the hot seat. Thank you very much. Of any election, 
a special election in August. Isn't that the optimum time to send out reminders to voters that I, you should vote absentee if you're not going to be around? I think that any election is important for the voters to come out. But look, this election is about a deficit to begin with, and then to throw more money at that. I thought it was a bad idea. At the same time, I can tell you that I will work to get people out to vote well, but, at, but, their, at their polling but places. Joe, let me, uh, if uh, the people at City Hall had read the Columbus Dispatch and listened to Jennifer Bruder, they both said, we shouldn't have these August special elections because it's so hard for people to know about them and be able to vote. So I think it's incumbent. It's kind of fun for me as a Republican to say, if in 08 it was good enough for Obama to have people sent out, and in Cuyahoga County in May, uh, they sent out the absentee ballot encouragement uh, people to vote that way, and they had three times the turnout of what you would normally have. So I would think I'm for democracy and let's let people well, vote. People can still use the absentee ballots. There's nothing uh, preventing the, the voters from doing that. To tell you the truth, this is not a, an optimum situation to begin with. The entire uh, the, the circumstances surrounding the, the tax increase is something that nobody wants. You're not telling me the city council or the, the mayor are saying, oh, this is great. You know, this is, what a wonderful opportunity for us to raise taxes. The city is in trouble. Well, but the why don't they have fiscal situations? Why don't they save the six, seven hundred thousand dollar cost of the special election and have the vote in November when there'll be more people voting? They'll know more about these issues. But I think what they're saying is they can't afford to wait, is that, you know, it costs $500,000 for an election, but we're talking about a $95 million gap. And that with the numbers change every single day, I mean, we've seen how many times OB, you know, the, the state budget office has redirected their numbers down and down and down. It changes every single day. And I think what the city is saying is that if we wait, it will cost us far more than what it will cost us for this election, and we just have to do it now. Reggie, do you, do you see the irony here at all? Where it's the Republicans who are saying, let's get the vote. Let's get the vote out. Let's get yes. the information out there. <laughs> yes. Let's come up the vote and get them way up there. The irony. <laughs> the other, the other uh, thing that I notice about this is that um, Columbus, much like other cities, once they have found some budget problems, they have kind of uh, used public safety issue yeah. as one to, to, I don't know, scare attack. It may be too strong of a word, but um, I'm sure it's realistic. You know, But uh, we've seen this in Toledo. Uh, Cleveland is now facing a, a major fine for some hiring practices uh, from, from a lawsuit. And immediately they said, well, this is going to impact. We're going to have to lay people, uh, fire, police and fire off. And so uh, I just wonder if this is also just a way to make sure that this thing passes. Does the public buy that? Well, like you hear it every, we're not going to have football next year if you don't vote for the school levy. I mean, eventually, I think a crying wolf well, comes in here. The problem with it is scare tactics to go threatening that because if the mayor of Cleveland can manage his city without having to go to the voters for a tax increase, why can't the Columbus mayor? Well, the reason is for seven of the last nine years, Mayor Coleman has spent more than what comes in at City Hall. They've been overspending way too much. It isn't the recent economy. And just this week, Channel 4 did a big thing on the Main Street Bridge. It's costing three times what it was originally going to cost because they wanted a signature bridge. My view is let's focus on the basics of police and fire first before you go into doing too many of these granite pavers on downtown streets and other ego projects like trolleys and all kind of other stuff. No, but Terry, that was never an estimate for that, that original bridge. That was just something that one of the, the proponents that, identified false. as, the, uh, that, that's as false. the figure. The state of Ohio cut the check for how much they were going to pay based on what the actual estimate was. Unfortunately, the 
public service director wasn't telling the truth to Channel 4. Look, and Hugh Dorian has been uh, on the record many, many times on this issue, and the city has lost money as a consequence of the financial crisis. It's just the way that, that the entire country has been. Now, are there, are there cities that perhaps are managing their situation differently, different environment? Perhaps that's true. But this is what we have here in Columbus, and we don't have a history of mismanagement, quite the opposite. You know, and I think also they have, the city, in, in fairness, has taken some steps because they have laid off, you know, what, more than a thousand people. Parks and recreation. Th they've, they've shut down some of, some of these things. And, you know, I have some folks, some friends of mine that work in city government who will be taking five unpaid days this year, and that is a $3,000 whack to their paycheck. So it is affecting city people in their pensions, their health care. They are doing some things to try to alleviate this budget but crunch. But the Howarth report, they aren't doing anywhere near what they could do. And I mean, look at Governor Strickland. He ought to mm -hmm. talk to Mayor Coleman. Governor Strickland said, I continue to say that I believe a tax increase, certainly in the middle of this recession, could be self-defeating. Uh, I mean, to do a big tax, and this is a 25% tax increase. This isn't a 10 or a 15%. It's 25% tax increase. Uh, and the city hall used to have a big rainy day fund. They've depleted it because they were spending too much on, I think, frill, wasted projects instead of focusing on the that's basics. What, that's what happens when you filter down services to the city level. This is not a stimulus plan. This is in order to keep the city going because the services are down at this level. Well, we asked the mayor this week about why not just have a, a temporary income yes, tax. Absolutely. I mean, I, temporary income tax tend to become permanent, but the federal government does it. State governments have done it. Temporary income tax hike, get us through the re this recession for five years. He, he just missed it saying, well, we don't know what the future holds and that kind of thing. Would that be an easier sell? I mean, you'd think so. That's what school districts do a lot of times. Yeah. I don't know, easier. I, I'm telling you, I think the, the tax increase is, is going to be a challenge to begin with. Yeah. I don't care how many voters you get out. I think it's going to be a challenge, and I think that the case still has to be made. And not a lot of time to make it, by the way. Let's get to our final topic. For some in the Ohio legislature, we are not moving fast enough. No, we're not talking about the pace of education reform. We're talking about the speed limit on some parts of Ohio's highways. State Rep Dan Dodd wants to raise the speed limit from 65 to 70. The Hebron Democrat says 70 would be fine because cars are safer now than they were at one point. Safety advocates and the State Highway Patrol disagree. They want to keep the speed limit at 65. Emily, pardon the pun, but what's driving this? <laughs> what's driving this? I like it. Um, you know, we know that July 1st, the truck speed limit goes up to 65. And, you know, Dan Dodd uh, said to me, you know, there are studies that show if they move at different speeds, then it's safer for everyone. Now, I don't know if I believe that. You know, it seems to me that speed is the problem in a lot of these crashes, people going too fast. And think about, you know, your own driving habits. If the speed limit's 65, do you not push 70, 75 sometimes? Yeah, not sometimes. that I'm admitting to that right now, but I'm saying that some people do that. Um, generally five, so, or five or ten above. Yeah, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if, if this will really happen. I was at something last night and someone said, is this really something we should be talking about now? Like, it's is ironic. this an issue that a we need to be talking about A year ago, we were talking about, about bringing it back to 55 because we were paying four bucks a gallon in gas. Mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. right. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right. And by the way, before we let it go any further, I, since Emily mentioned this, you can get ticketed <laughs> for a one mile over the speed limit. Yes. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> we don't want anybody <laughs> siding her in no. court. But in general, most people connected to Highway Patrol and others will tell you they give you about six or seven miles because right. not everybody's speedometer is 100% accurate. And the accurate. funny thing is I hear that in court sometimes. Well, it's, <laughs> the, it's the rate <laughs> detectors that aren't always <laughs> accurate to the point. Is this, is this kind of, I know that they give you tickets 
because of safety. It's not to in increase revenue. But this have a, does this have a back backlash? You won't raise as much revenue if you raise it to 70? And <laughs> no, I think people no, will people still drive 5 to 10 okay. miles over the speed yeah. limit. No so right. I think that's not going to change. And having last weekend gone down to uh, Charlottesville, Virginia for a son's graduation, West Virginia is 70 miles an hour, and there's yeah. parts of the Pennsylvania or West Virginia Turnpike and other places where it's nice to go that extra speed, but there's other places yeah. it's a little dicey, and mm -hmm. the comment about the cars being safer is true. Now, the drivers yeah. and their judgment, especially when they're trying to talk on the cell phone and put on their makeup right. at the same time, right. that's a little messages. scary. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. I was just going to say one uh, quick thing was, I don't, I don't know that this bill is going to go anywhere. Um, yeah. It was introduced by a pair of uh, Democrats, but there are Democrats who are against it, yeah. uh, largely because uh, the Highway Patrol and uh, law enforcement is a very strong lobby in uh, the State House, and if they don't want it, uh, this is going to have a hard time getting through you know, the legislature. Fun to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Time now for weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the week ahead. Reggie, you're up first. Well, everything we're talking about obviously is very important, but um, the biggest story in Northeast Ohio was how the Cavs blew that game one, mm -hmm. and I'm going to predict that uh, the Cavs will be just fine. They will win uh, the Eastern Conference uh, final, and, she, and they will go on to the NBA All Conference right. finals. So. All right. Emily. All right, uh, prediction for me, well, not really a prediction, but we know John Kasich has his eye on the governor's office, and in the next two weeks, I think we will know officially that he is in the game, and uh, he and Governor Strickland are going to go at it. All right. Terry. In the State House parking garage this morning, I happened to run into Governor Strickland, and what he told me I should predict <laughs> is that Mary Taylor will run against Kasich in the Republican primary for governor, but that the car dealer <laughs> will switch from the Senate primary and run that, and he'll win the primary. I'm not going to make that prediction. Wishful thinking, I'm sure. Well, it, but it showed a good sense of humor on sure. the governor's <laughs> part. But my prediction is the lobbying started this week at the State House on changing the Ohio syntax law so that people in Columbus and also with added income tax revenue can buy the nationwide arena, put it under public ownership so they can increase the subsidy and the bailout for the Blue Jackets. All right, we'll see. Joe, final word. Uh, no prediction, but our good wishes, uh, all of us, I'm sure, to Fred Anderley, That's the right. host of Open Line the, on WSU Radio. Over 20 years of that wonderful show, and I know I will miss him, and I think probably all of us will. Yep, his last day is this coming Friday. The month-long celebration ends. Mm -hmm. Fred Anderley's retirement. Good luck to Fred. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this conversation at our website. Our question this week, do you support raising the speed limit to 70 miles per hour, and do you actually drive 70 miles an hour. That's at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.